1: We released an episode a couple of days ago, and in that episode, we interviewed Dr. Scott Stevens, and we thought that was going to be the last episode of season four of our summer season. Came into work this morning and saw down the hallway Dr. Fritz Reed uh, from all the way out in California. He was here visiting visiting us in Memphis, and so we just could not pass up the opportunity to get a little bit of a report from Fritz on some of the things that are happening out of the boreal. So this is really like... Truly, bonus special after the end of the season type episode may never happen again. Fritz Reed, Dr. Fritz Reed, the uh, our director of boreal and arctic conservation. Fritz, great to have you here, man.
2: Well, it's great to be here. Uh, it's obvious that uh, the drought is is the talk of the town, uh, both in the west and the prairies. Uh, it's it's a massive change in the continent. What's interesting is that uh, as you look to the north, it's actually wet and cool, and it has been a, a late spring in boreal Antarctic, as, as we hear from uh, folks to the north, um, certainly forest fires are probably not going to be present in most of the boreal. Uh, Southeast Alaska is one place that we may see some problems. There's some dry areas there, but across the Alaskan boreal, across the Canadian boreal in the territories and and in the uh, northern portions of Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, it's very, very wet. Uh, in the territories, they saw massive floodings in a lot of indigenous villages, uh, floodings they haven't seen for 30, 40 years. So that that's kind of interesting.
1: I want to get into a little bit more of that, but you're right. We have had several episodes where we've highlighted the, the, the drought that's, that that has developed on the prairie you referenced a drought in the West, and I think on the previous episode with Scott, I I touched that briefly, but we'll probably have you back on in the, you or one of your colleagues back on in the fall to talk about the drought that's developing out there. It has its own set of challenges and implications for what we do. Um, But yeah, so with regard to the prairie drought, we've talked at length about it this year and how Uh, some areas it's record low pond numbers, North Dakota coming, you know, well, really being the only data point that we have there. We've had a lot of conversations about what the birds are likely to do. We've referenced some of these other breeding regions that are important for waterfowl, the boreal and Alaska being two of those most important. And having you here today is pretty cool because you work in those areas. You're our lead guy for those, those areas. So, we're going to get into a conversation here in just a minute where and where we've previously just kind of talked about what we expect birds to do relative to encountering a a dry prairie whenever they're traveling back north in the spring and i want to get some some anecdotal reports from you we kind of have to be very clear about that we're going to be talking anecdotally but that's what we've had to do about all of this stuff this year i want to get your anecdotal input on what people are seeing is there any observable anecdotal change in what we're seeing with regard to birds making it back to the boreal or, or other northern breeding regions this year? So, uh, that's that's where we're going to go here. But first, give people an idea of like the, the type of connections, the type of contacts that you would have up in the boreal and Alaska to actually get this type of information that you're going to share.
2: Yeah, so we work with a large number of indigenous people, across the boreal of of both Canada and Alaska. And so we hear reports from uh, biologists and and people that are working in the land, the indigenous guardians of Canada. And uh, we also have reports from biologists, both Alaska Fish and Game, folks that are working for the federal government Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And then on the Canadian side, uh, listening to uh, some of the university folks that are out in the field. Um, and and uh, what we're seeing across the board is uh, wet, very wet conditions. And as birds are, were arriving, uh, really impressive numbers. Uh, again, as an anecdote, uh, folks that have been on the great, on the on the uh, slave delta and the Tulson delta, which is on the south end of uh, Great Slave Lake, they're reporting the most ducks they've ever seen. Wow! Huge mm-hmm. numbers of geese and the most ducks they've ever seen. And this, what's interesting, is is the slave delta and that whole region there has. Been flooding more extensively the last two years than it has in many years. They've actually seen hydrologic connections that haven't existed for decades, and uh, with and and they've had trapper cabins that totally flooded out. I mean, the water was ten feet above the roof of the trappers' cabins. So, a lot of water flowing down.
1: Ten feet above the roof.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, so you're introducing a, uh, a topic that dirt deserves its own, its own focused discussion, you know, in terms of the changes that we're seeing with regard to habitats in those northern areas and how waterfowl may be responding to those now or how we may think they, they may in the future. But we've had anecdotal reports of large content, larger than normal numbers of, of waterfowl coming into the boreal. That's what we would expect during a dry prairie, right? Absolutely,
2: Be- because you're getting f- flyover from from birds that you know arrive on the prairie. They're prairie breeders, and they're going to tend to go to to the into the boreal where they can survive in more permanent water systems. The challenge, of course, on a continental basis, is many of those birds may not breed, and uh, and so, but. If they survive as adults, um, they're still within the flyway and will part be part of that fall spectacle. I'm glad
1: you you touched on that because that is the natural question when we say birds are going to overfly the prairies and the boreal. It's like, well, are they going to breed if they? Or, or are they just going to forego breeding? And I mean, I think that's probably an area where we still have some learning to do, right? Like yeah. what percentage of those birds that go go that do overfly the prairies actually breed? If they do breed, how often do they renest? If they have we just don't have a great understanding of that. Dude. We do not. Yeah.
2: We 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 don't understand that. And that's that's absolutely right. But we do know that with about a third of the of the continental population of common ducks breeding in the boreal, those are birds that are going to have reproduction. You know, we hope we'll have young, be successful. And, and we also know that, you know, hens that hatch out in an area, say in the boreal, those are the birds that are going to return to the boreal and get their mate on the wintering grounds, and then they will return very close to where they
0: hatch. You and your dog are a team.
1: We'll touch on this just here real briefly because we've done so on some previous episodes. We've talked about, uh, you know, trying not to extrapolate about the impacts of a, of the prairie drought beyond really what we should because there there are some species that are really closely tied to the prairie. Blue-winged teal and gadwall are, are probably the most classic as we talked with Scott about recently. But there are some species that are really tied to the boreal. Uh, Green-winged teal, wigeon, right? So in a year like this, and I don't know if you have an answer for for this but in a year of drought would we see even an uptick in the number of those species would we expect that
2: Well if and what we're we're seeing if if the wetland conditions in in the marshes uh, in the streams are good which is what we're, we're, we're hearing is occurring there, we should expect good production in those boreal habitats. So, production for greenwing teal, for wigeon, for ringnecks, for lesser scop should be very good. Uh, we've also seen over several years good production of goldeneye and bufflehead, which are cavity nesters, in those locations. So, those are species we would expect to do fairly
1: well. This is fortuitous to have you here today, and, ha- and so this can be like a super bonus episode because it feels much better to be able to end the summer season on a bit of a high note as opposed to just talking about how dry it is on the prairies. Um, now, make no mistake, the drought on the prairies is going to have an impact on production from a lot of those species that rely on it, but it's good to hear about the, the production that we can count on some level of production pretty much every year out of the boreal. But it sounds like this year with it being so wet, maybe we can be even a bit more optimistic.
2: I think absolutely. I think I think that's a really good comment because uh, in an average year, we would do well with boreal species, but everything I'm hearing is it's really an exceptional year. And it's kind of pan-boreal as well, stretching from western Alaska right across uh, the rest of the boreal. And and we know
1: it's 1.5 billion acres, so it's a big, broad area. One final question here, and then we're just going to wrap this one up. Uh, Alaska, you just mentioned that. And, And I believe the Fish and Wildlife Service was able to fly their aerial surveys in Alaska this year. Can you confirm that?
2: That's my Understanding as well. Um, I can't give you final confirmation because I, I didn't talk to any of the pilots. But uh, as we know, the pilots will then run their analysis and put their numbers together. And it won't be till probably August, September till we hear results from there. But we certainly expect to, to hear some good numbers from from that.
1: So the wet conditions that you mentioned for the for the boreal, though, that kind of carries into Alaska yes, as well. Absolutely. Awesome. And,
2: and, and we know long-term that the number of ducks that, that have production in Alaska have really been going high. Um, there are several species now, pintail, mallard, uh, green-winged teal, scop. Uh, wigeon that are all over a million breeders in Alaska, in the boreal. And so that's phenomenal. And one hopes that uh, their production is good in those areas.
1: One one comment, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, Uh, when we hear about these large increases in in bird abundances, one of the first questions is, well, is that really a population growth or or is that a population redistribution? And you think the evidence is pretty strong that it's actually growth, organic growth of the population. Dr. Mark Petrie and I, put together a small paper a couple of years ago where we talked about the fact that
2: as, as you look at time period from the 50s till now, uh, in, in the 50s and 60s, a lot of those lakes and marshes were really iced over for, for a longer period of time. And, and if you looked at how much time was available for a duck to get in there, to have a nest, to get the chicks off, to get the chicks to fledge, Really, there was only about one out of 10 years that they would have been successful. Now, it's 10 out of 10 years. There's enough time for those birds to arrive, for those birds to fledge out and and, and fly out of there. So, um, you mentioned widgeon, and and certainly back in the 50s, there were less than 40,000 widgeon that were counted in Alaska, now over a million. So, that's pretty dramatic, Growth.
1: Uh, so, when we talk about Alaska, that's going to be really good news for the Pacific Flyway, at least in terms of the condition that we were, were referencing there. Uh, Alaska and the western provinces of Canada and the boreal forest are going to feed the Pacific Flyway, right? The other thing, tell us about just real quickly here the boreal forest, when we look all across it, it benefits hunters all across North America, right? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And and it's interesting with the Alaska birds because you have birds that will winter on the East Coast that are coming out of Alaska. Wow. And across... Canada, Western Boreal is is really very, very important. Pretty much from Manitoba to the Yukon territories, that that area is really rich, rich in breeding habitat for waterfowl.
1: Fritz, you and I could talk for another uh well for a half hour or two hours on all these different things that we've already touched on, but I'm not gonna do that. We're gonna keep it short and sweet. And and yeah, this is it's great to have a bit of a, a more optimistic upbeat view of of, uh, of the way waterfowl populations and uh, the rich waterfowl habitats all across the northern part of, of North America are really holding up and doing what we need them to do. When we have a drought in one area, we, want, we need to have these robust habitats in place so that environmental variation can move around and we have great conditions in the boreal right now. That's a good thing.
2: A- a- absolutely. And, and I'm sure, as as Scott mentioned in your last discussion, you know, dry periods on the prairies ultimately are important uh, in, in the long-term cycles of those systems. But uh, it's tough when it happens.
1: <laughs> Fritz, thank you for being here. Look forward to catching up with you again on some other topics related to the boreal and Arctic and all sorts of other stuff. Always good to chat. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Fritz Reed, Ducks Unlimited's Director of Boreal and Arctic Conservation. We greatly appreciate his impromptu joining us here on the podcast and giving you all one last episode here for, for season four. As always, we thank our producer for the work that he does, and then we thank you, the listener, for your time and spending with us and for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.